All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 118, 2 Chronicles 32 through 33. Guys, what's that I smell? The end of 2 Chronicles. <laughs> We're so close, you guys. We're so close. You're going to be like reading it and be like, I don't smell anything. <laughs> anyway, I'm joined here with the infamous Clayton. Kevin, it's good to have Kevin back. And then we have the silent assassin, Tom Jankowski. So here's the deal. We are in 2 Chronicles. We just talked about King Hezekiah, right? We just talked about him bringing and calling forth everybody to return to Yahweh. So you're like, praise God, we got a king in the lineage of, of, uh, uh, of Judah that is actually a good king. And so what I, what I love about this story is, is that here you have in this lineage, it's going to point to, yes, uh, the ultimate king, King Jesus, correct? Everybody on the same page here. And so you're going to see this, but in Second Chronicles 32, you see, can I just say Satan for a second here, coming in and trying to destroy it all. God and or Satan can use real, uh, rulers anywhere in the world. Crazy enough, God can even use, you ready for this? He can even use bad rulers for his good. In fact, can you go to Proverbs 21, verse 1? Proverbs 21, 1 says, A king's heart is a water channel in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. So ultimately, who's in charge? Wow. The Lord is. So even when things are bad, God's still in charge. So I just kind of keep that as a picture, even though we had a, a, a move of God, a return uh, to the Lord. And, and I, you know, we always talk about this. And I remember the religious throwing some things at me when we were in Indiana. And they're like, well, if this is of God, it's going to last. I totally agree. I totally agree. A hundred percent. If this is of God, it's going to last. But it doesn't mean that if you have, can I just say this? Let, let's just say a, a, an explosion. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't mean that when you go through something that you're going to hit a block. Right. God can still work through that block to have a another move of God. Does that make sense? And so what it looks like a hairy man is what it looks like. Why, why am I saying this? Because this is the pattern of what you see in revival. Like you see blockage, but then it comes back. And then every time, though, what people say, well, well that, that wasn't ever a move of God from the very beginning. Does that make sense? And I would just say, we're going to be in one of these periods of X's. That it's going to look bad, but you have to know God is bigger than all of these blocks. I feel like in order to make it more holy or something, right? Let's, let's make it more fire-ish. Okay, so here you have, you just had Hezekiah. And we just said, return to Yahweh. So in Second Chronicles 32, this is what happens in verse 1. It says, after these faithful deeds. Don't you love that image already? So after the, the temple reform, a, after we're saying, everybody come back to the Lord, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, he came and he entered into Judah. 
And it says he laid siege to the fortified cities and intended to break into them. Fortified cities means like it's actual fortified. Like just imagine like a lockbox, really. And it, it says he's intending to break into. This word intended means he's going to do it. Now, we did a study on this, and it looked like he captured at least... In fact, can you go to 2 Kings, Kevin, verse... 2 Kings 18, verse 13. 2 Kings 18, verse 13. This will kind of give you a picture of all, uh, uh, all of these cities. It says, In the four, 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all of the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Okay, so just to give you an idea, we're looking at 46 Judean towns. Okay, so now if you'll go back to 2 Chronicles 32, verse 1... After these faithful deeds, God moving through Hezekiah, Sennacherib comes in from Assyria. He enters in. He plans on overtaking these fortified cities, and there's 46 of them. And guess what? He starts doing that. Now, in verse 2, Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he had planned war on Jerusalem. So one of those cities that Sennacherib wanted was Jebus, was Jerusalem. Okay, does that make sense? So he's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to start cleaning house. Hezekiah sees this. And you're kind of like, ah. Now, actually, let's do this. Go to 2 Chronicles 8, verse 2 through 6. Solomon was actually the individual that ended up building these fortified cities. Solomon had rebuilt the cities Hiram gave him, and he settled Israelites there. Verse 3. Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and seized it. Verse 4. He built Tadmor in the wilderness along with all the storage cities that he built in Hamath. Verse 5. He built Upper Bet Horan, Lower Bet Horan, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars. And then verse 6. Balath, all the storage cities that belong to Solomon, and all the chariot cities, the cavalry cities, and everything Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, or anywhere else in the land of his dominion. These are the fortified cities that now Sennacherib is coming in and taking over. Okay, everybody on the same page? So this is kind of, the, and so this is the lineage. This is what the enemy wants to come in and destroy. So Hezekiah hears in verse 2, Sennacherib from Assyria is coming in. He's planning war on his city. So in verse 3, here's what he does. It says, He consulted with his officials and his warriors about stopping up the waters of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. So now here's what's going to be crazy. Okay, in the middle of this Sennacherib attack, okay? Let me see if I can spell his name right. Of Sennacherib attack. All right, so here's what happens. So Hezekiah, he seeks counsel, okay? So when he seeks counsel, he decides to come up with three things on how to, um, to deal with this attack, okay? Three different ways. So here's why I'm saying this. When you hear the enemy is coming to attack, the question is, is do you do something about it, okay? We're, we're going to go there in a second, but I, I just want to practically understand, you guys to understand something. So here's what he does. So to prevent the Assyrians from gaining uh, water supply, gaining water supply for Jerusalem, it says um, he consulted them with his words about stopping up the waters of the springs that were outside the city. We're going to get to that, but just so you know, and then in verse 4, here's what it says. So many people gathered and stopped up all the springs and the streams that flowed through the land, and they said... Why should the kings of Assyria come to find plenty of weather? Uh, weather, water. Kevin, what does this mean? What, what's he doing here? They basically cut off the enemy's water supply. So what's interesting, though, if they cut their, the Assyrians having gained access to the water supply, what does that mean for them? 
they're cutting it off for themselves as well. That's exactly what they're doing. We're get, we'll get to that. We'll kind of walk through this process, okay, uh, about really what this could look like. And in fact, sorry, I want to just, let, let me come back to this one if I can, okay? So that's one of the things. They're going to address the water supply for their enemies, okay? Then Hezekiah strengthened his position by rebuilding the entire broken down wall and heightening the towers and the other outside wall. He repaired the supporting terraces of the city of David and he made an abundance of weapons and shields. So basically what you're seeing here is he, he fortified the city. So he's going to take care of the water supply. He's going to repair the city walls. And then look what he says. Look what he does. It says in verse six, and we know at the end of verse five, it says he made an abundance of weapons and shields. And then it says he set military commanders over the people and gathered the people in the square of the city gate. So what does he do here? He then reorganizes and re-equips the army. Can I just call it the IDF? <laughs> the Israeli Defense Force. So the water, right? The walls and war. I want to go back to the water one because to me, this is a really cool picture about what he does. I mean, he is, Kevin, ultimately, what does this become? What do we call this? Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah's tunnel. So he cuts everything off. So in order to prevent the enemies from getting it, so then what he does is he actually builds a tunnel. Man, it is so cool to see what he does. He builds a tunnel that actually goes, and we can get into this more detail down the road even, from the Gihon Spring, okay, all the way to the Siloam Pool. Now, he cuts the water supplies off so that nobody can get it. So he builds an underground tunnel, that's what a tunnel is, so that they don't know about it, so that he can still get the water supply, so that his people can still get the water supply. But he has guys that start building from this end and guys that start building on this end. And look as they're building, it looks like they've been having something to drink. And then they meet right here. How they met, I still think it's one of the coolest miracles that I've actually got to walk in and experience. Now, let's go to another picture if we can. Here, here's what it actually looks like. Look at the height of these things. We're talking about <laughs> little guys jumping all the time. And so here you have two groups coming and all of this was built because King Sennacherib of Assyria was coming in to overtake a city. But, but King Hezekiah, after seeking counsel, said, no, we're not going to let you have our water, the walls, or you're not going to win in, in war. Let's go to another picture here. I think this is cool. Oh, what do you know? It's the Time Revive crew. In fact, Clayton, this is your brother-in-law. Uh, here you have Tom, Drew, Kristen, a board member, Janae, and Mindy, who function as prophetesses for our team, my sister, my cousin, and then Tony's in the back. And so you'll see, if you go back to the other picture here for a second, yep. Uh, so look at, look at the difference. So obviously there's seasons where the tunnels are taller, and yet they are narrower. But now let's go to the map, because I think this is crazy to me. This is a king getting ready for uh, battle. If you knew that the enemy was going to attack, the question is, is, are you getting ready? Can you go to Ephesians 6, verse 10 for me, Kevin? Because can I just tell you, just like the letter couriers who represent the king, <laughs> uh, 
as you deliver the letters, as you call people back to him, you should expect the enemy to come. And so in verse 10, Paul says the same thing. Guys, the enemy is attacking us. What are you doing to get ready for the battle? And he says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For a battle is not against flesh and blood, but back in verse 11 for a second, Kevin, that full armor of God, we're going to get to a description of this just in a second, but I want you to understand something. Here's what, here's what Hezekiah is doing. Hezekiah, the way he's putting on the armor is he's taking, he, he, he's looking at everything. Not only does he give him uh, shields, not only does he give him weapons, but then he's rebuilding the walls. Like my point is he's actually realizing he's in a battle. Part of the problem the American church is in is that we don't actually recognize that we are really in a battle. And in verse 12, it says, Ephesians 6, it says, our battle's not against flesh and blood. And the reason we don't know that is because you can't see the enemy. (laughs) It's against rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of heaven in the, of evil in the heavens. Now watch in verse 13. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Here's what I love about this comparison. Because Hezekiah called for people to return to God, the enemy came at him. I actually believe if you're not a threat for the Lord, the enemy doesn't even need to mess with you. And so here's what he says in verse 14. Here's how you put it on. You stand, therefore, with a a, a truth like a belt. My wife said, hey, that's a newer belt you're wearing today. You don't normally wear that, but I wanted to put on a belt today that felt like I'm in the battle. And your belt is with the truth with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, you know, a breastplate of righteousness. It says in verse uh, 15, your feet, I'm wearing a little bit of different shoes today. Maybe you might notice, maybe not, but whatever. For me, your feet are sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. You're ready to get into the battle. And as it happens, watch in verse 16, in every situation, take that shield of faith and with it, you're going to be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Oh, we're going to cut off your water supply. No problem. I got faith. We're going to build a tunnel. Like, this is the mentality that Hezekiah had. We must have this mentality as well. They're going to keep coming at us. The question is, are we, are we ready? Verse 17, the scripture says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And then in verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. All I want to just say is, I'm not going to teach on this, but I want you to ask the Lord, what does that mean? Pray at all times in the spirit. That's for another lesson, another time. But I'm telling you guys, it's a game changer. And with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. You know what I love about Hezekiah? He sought counsel and he got ready. This is your Hezekiah moment. This is your Hezekiah speech that says, hey guys, the enemy's coming. Are Are you ready? So now that he's laid all of this, then watch what happens in verse seven. He begins to make this speech. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged before the king of Assyria. Don't be worried about your enemy Sennacheribs or before all the multitude with him, for there are more with us than with him. Now, here's where it gets interesting. This discussion about King Hezekiah. Why is this verse not before verse three? Second Chronicles 32, verse 3, Go to uh, if you don't mind, Kevin. I, I wrestle with this. It says he consulted with his officials and his warriors, and then they begin to get into the game plan, right? They get into the game plan of stopping up the water and building a tunnel. They get into the game plan of, verse 4, fortifying the cities, and in, in, in verse 5, right? And then in verse 6, they reorganize and they re-equip their army. 
My point is this, is some people would challenge Hezekiah's approach. And he, some are critical. I'm not actually so critical of this, but some would say he should have said, hey, the multitude is with us. God's already had this. Why do you have to go through all this process to get ready? Uh, I just think some people are like, um, oh, <laughs> he, he depended upon himself in order to get everything lined up. And then he said, God, would you bless this? I don't necessarily see that. I just see that he had wisdom in this process. Clayton, would you agree? Or? Yeah. Uh, can you go to 2 Kings 6, verse 16? Remember, uh, this, this, lang- this language of there are more with us, right? Look what Elisha says. Don't be afraid for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And keep it here, Kevin. And go to verse 17 if you can, right? Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes. Remember, he's with somebody because that other, the servant didn't even see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You, you wonder if King Hezekiah knew that the horses and the chariots of fire were all around him. To me, this is a man radically walking by faith. And, and I think there's a both and. I think he did everything he could as a good leader to, to walk into this and to prepare. But guess what else? Uh, he depended upon, well, uh, let's go back, Kevin, if we can, to Second Chronicles 32, uh, verse 7, right? Uh, just say Yahweh is with us. Water, walls, war, and then he knows that Yahweh is with him. In verse 8, he says, in describing Sennacherib, right? He has only human strength, but we have Yahweh, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. So the people relied on the words of King Hezekiah of Judah. Can you go to Isaiah 22, verse 8 for me? Isaiah 22, verse 8. Because he, he, he's talking about being strong and courageous, right? That's what he's saying to his folks after they're, they're getting these, this process, right? I want to show you the opposite of not, of not depending upon Yahweh. It says, He removed the defenses of, of Judah. On that day, you looked to the weapons in the house of the forest, in verse 9. You saw that there were many breaches in the walls of the city, David. You collected water from the lower pool, verse 10. You counted the houses of Jerusalem that you could tear them down to fortify the wall. And then in verse 11, it says this. You made a reservoir between the walls for the waters of the ancient pool, but you did not look to the one who made it or consider the one who created it long ago. If, okay, if King Hezekiah did not say trust and depend upon Yahweh, he then would have just said the water, the walls and the water were good. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. If you look to only the fleshly things, if you look only to the material things, it does not work. But King Hezekiah radically, in my opinion, says, no, 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 let's find our strength in him. To me, that's the difference between a good king and a bad king. A bad king could do all the water. He could actually prepare the walls. He could actually get everybody ready with their their weapons, right? And in fact, we have multiple examples, you guys. In fact, Martin Selman, I like these examples that he pulls out. Can you go to Deuteronomy 31, verse 7? You have some great examples, you guys. Look what Moses says. Moses then summoned Joshua, and he said to him inside of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give to their fathers. You will enable them to take possession of it. In verse 8, it then says, here it is, The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And so here you have this language of God is going to be, and I love this picture, this painting over here, God's with you in Joshua. In fact, if you, Kevin, if you go to Joshua 1, verse 6, same language. Joshua learns this from Moses. Joshua 1, 6, be strong and courageous. For you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Verse 7, 
Above all, be strong and very courageous to be carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Look, he's quoting this. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. Verse eight, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You're to recite it all day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And finally, in verse nine, Heaven, I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. And I feel like when you look at these great men of God, it's one who says, yeah, I I can do the water, I can do the walls, I can do the weapons, and you know, here, I'll add another W, just keep going with it, why not? It's because God has given these guys wisdom, but because they have the wisdom, it's because they realize that Yahweh is with them. In fact, if you go to 1 Chronicles 22, verse 13, it's not just with, with Moses. It's not just with, uh, with Joshua. 1 Chronicles 22, 13, here you have David. Then you will succeed if you carefully follow the statutes and ordinances the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. I love this image. Sennacherib, he depends upon his strength. Hezekiah, though, I think it's a pretty cool picture. Uh, Hezekiah understands the attacks. And let me just put this as a quick summary here. So in the first verse, eight, uh, eight verses, okay, what you see and what, we're, what we've been talking about, right? So Hezekiah, what we would say is he defends, okay? Uh, this comes from uh, Martin Selman here, just kind of clearly just unfolding out an outline. But then once he's ready, guess what? Sennacherib. He attacks. Okay, so that's what you're going to see here is Sennacherib attacks. You're going to see that in verses 9 through 19. So it says, After this, while Sennacherib, king of Assyria, with all of his armed forces, he besieged Lachish. Okay, it's an important fortified uh, northern, uh, I'm sorry, city west of Jerusalem. Okay, it's near the coastal route. It would have cut off Jerusalem and Assyria would gain control of the coast. So this is an important city to get access to the coast from Jerusalem. So it says he takes care of Lachish. He sent his servants to Jerusalem against King Hezekiah of Judah and against all of those in Judah who were in Jerusalem. And this is what they're saying. Verse 10, this is what King Sennacherib of Assyria says. What are you trusting in? You who remain under the siege of Jerusalem? Isn't Hezekiah misleading you to give you over to death by famine and thirst when he says... Yahweh, our God, will deliver us from the power of the king of Assyria. Why would he even be saying the thirst comment, Kevin? Because they don't think there's any water on the outside. That's right. Interesting enough, verse 12, didn't Hezekiah, he continues to mock Hezekiah. Hezekiah himself remove his high places and altars and say to Jews, Ju- Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and you must burn incense on it. I mean, what Sennacherib really believes is that Hezekiah is undermining his own beliefs. That, that's what Sennacherib is, is, is thinking here. Little does he know in verse 13, don't you know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands? Why? He's referencing himself, Sennacherib and the Syrians all taking over these fortified cities. Don't you realize, have any of the national gods of the lands been able to deliver their land from my power? In other words, it's everything about his power. And then in verse 14, who among all the gods of these nations that my fathers utterly destroyed was able to deliver his people from my power that your God should be able to do the same for you. In other words, it hasn't worked in these other cities. Why do you think your God's going to be able to do this? And then in verse 15, 
The scripture continues on. So now don't let Hezekiah deceive you and don't let him mislead you like this. For no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my power or the power of my father's. How much less will your God deliver you from my power? The enemy will constantly breathe Goliath lies. That's what's going to happen. He's going to stand there for 40 days and constantly, as in 1 Samuel 17, just speak lies into you. And if you believe in those, your identity becomes more about those lies rather than what you know to be true. And remember, in 30 and 31, return to Yahweh. Verse 16, his servant said, um, more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. In other words, there was a whole lot more juicy stuff. A lot more gossips and rumors and challenges and false accusations. We're just not going to put them in right now. <laughs> there was a sense that God was, was helping them. Now watch this. In verse 17, you're right. He also wrote letters to mock Yahweh. You know, I'm going to send some letters to the people, but now I'm just going to write one against God himself. Saying against him, just like the national gods of the lands that did not deliver their people from my power. So Hezekiah's God will not deliver his people from my power. Continues on. Then he called out, then uh, in verse 18, then they called out loudly in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem. It's actually one of the only instances, you guys. In fact, it's the only direct Old Testament reference of Hebrew in all of the Old Testament. So then they called out loudly in Hebrew so that they could understand to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall. So they're going to speak their language to frighten and discourage them in order that he might capture the city. In other words, if we speak into their language, Aramaic would have been the, the international language, but now we're going to intentionally just speak Hebrew so that we can freak them out. And then in verse 19, they spoke against the God of, of Jerusalem like they had spoken against the gods of the peoples of the earth, which were made by human hands. And then enter, yes, the Lord. <laughs> and I love what Martin Selman says, Hezekiah defends, Sennacherib attacks, but, you ready for this? The Lord saves. And in verse 20, it says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, they prayed about this and they cried out to heaven. So King Hezekiah, you guys, he's not wavering. He's crying out to the Lord. He's talking to the Lord. And it says in verse 21, and the Lord sent an angel who annihilated every brave warrior, leader, and commander in the camp of the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria returned to disgrace to his land. He went to the temple of his God, super funny, and there's some of his own children cut him down with the sword. So he comes and worships a false God as he's worshiping his God in, made in human hands and says some of his own kids killed him. Just like that, you guys, we went through this whole story, this whole uh, lengthy lesson, and literally in one verse... God says he just annihilated the enemy just like that. Verse 22. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the power of the king of Sennacherib of Assyria and from the power of all others. He gave them rest on every side. And in this process, it says in verse 23, many were bringing an offering to the Lord to Jerusalem, valuable gifts to King Hezekiah of Judah. And he was exalted in the eyes of all the nations after that. Can I just go here for a second? What King Hezekiah did is he, he got the water ready. He got the walls ready. He got the, the weapons ready. But Kevin, who, who fought the battle? Lord did. The Lord did. Yahweh. Yahweh, I believe, showed us through Hezekiah that we are supposed to be people getting ready for what he's going to do. But in that process, you have to trust that God's just going to show up. You might be building right now the tunnel. You might actually be getting your weapons ready. You might be actually getting your walls ready. But amidst all of your work, it's God's grace and God's mercy that takes care of it all. 
And that's the beauty of King Hezekiah's story facing the enemy. In fact, if you go back, Kevin, to Ephesians 6, verse 17 and 18. You know what I see here in all this? I, I see us getting our armor on, but watch in verse 18, it says this. After we have this on, remember I told you guys this was key. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And so you know what you see here? You see Ephesians 6, 18 in prayer. But now watch, here's what's crazy. If you go back, Kevin, if you would, in Second Chronicles, it's where Hezekiah and Isaiah. It says in verse 20 of Second Chronicles 32, verse 20, what did they do? Prayed as well. Here's what I want to say, and this is what I want to close. If you pray to the Lord, you better get ready. That's what I saw. Hezekiah was ready. He prayed. He believed that God's going to do this. As we're in our battle in Ephesians 6, we better have the armor of God on as we pray. Because in all of this, God's going to show up. It's a cool lesson, you guys. The enemy tried to block the move of God. Well, it didn't work. God gets the glory. All right, guys, have a great day. Second Chronicles 32, 33. We'll talk to you tomorrow.